Welcome to Podcast Ally. This is Bridget Lyons, and I'm the founder of Podcast Ally and your host for the day. Today, I'm so excited to bring you a conversation with one of my most trusted mentors and advisors, and that's Nicole Lewis-Keeper. Nicole is the business therapist, the author of How to Love Your Business, and the creator of the Do Not Harm program for trauma-conscious entrepreneurs. She's passionate about the impact of small-t trauma on businesses, and she combines therapeutic processes with business coaching to help entrepreneurs build emotionally sustainable, financially stable businesses. Nicole has a rich and varied experience as a therapist. She's trained and certified with Brene Brown's Dare to Lead methodology, and she's been featured on media like Fast Company and NPR for her work in breaking the stigma in mental health and business ownership. And I'm not ashamed to say it. I've worked with and studied with Nicole pretty extensively at this point. I went through her Dare to Lead program. I'm doing Do No Harm right now, and I've worked with her as a private client. I am a huge fan of Nicole's work. And the reason I wanted to bring Nicole onto the show is to talk about how this concept of our inner kiddos activate when you step into the spotlight, because this is something I frankly see our clients grapple with. Being a guest on a podcast where you're interviewed for up to a full hour on the topics that are most meaningful for you can bring up all the stuff. And those kiddos want to protect you. And maybe you also have some trauma that's in the recording booth with you. So Nicole is going to talk us through all of that today, all those things that come up when you turn on the mic, and hopefully give us some strategies for dealing with them when they come up. So Nicole, thank you so, so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I just introduced a ton of concepts in that introduction, <laughs> and I want to start with the work that you do around what you call the inner kiddo. So can you just explain to us what the inner kiddo is and kind of what role they play in our lives? I think many of us as adults would like to think that we're completely inherently led and that there's no impact on us, you know, from our childhood that we can just overcome it and move on and peace out. But that's really not how it works. We are informed as adults, our choices, you know, beliefs, behaviors are informed by the experiences that we've had previous in our life, particularly in our developmental years, which would be our childhood. And when I talk about the inner kiddo, these are the parts of us that were formed and basically remain with us. If you've had these adverse childhood experiences that could have impacted your childhood in any way, those inner kiddos then become a voice about the choices that you make here as an adult. So for instance, let's say if at seven years old, maybe you had a peer group who turned their back on you or your school was difficult or you got bullied. That seven-year-old didn't grow up, basically. They're still there in your head talking to you about the safety and security and well-being of you. So any experience that you had in your childhood where you felt unsafe, unseen, unheard, it's almost like putting a little pin in that part of your childhood and it kind of gets frozen in time. So that seven-year-old will always be with you. It will move through life with you. It'll inform the decisions that you make. And yes, it'll be a part of your business. And yes, it'll be a part of the podcast booth <laughs> as a guest. So it's basically these younger versions of ourselves that never really went away because they had an experience that was kind of dramatic or could have even been traumatizing. So when you talk about that, one of the things that comes up for me is thinking about those times when I was told I was too loud as a kid, which is something mm -hmm. I heard all the time. 
I definitely get really loud when I get overexcited. And so just imagine being a kid and being really passionate about something and constantly being told you're being too loud or boring and talkative and like you need to quiet down. And as you talk about the inner kiddo, it's like, yes, that definitely has followed through with me into my business and influenced the ways that I show up as a leader and especially online when it comes to thought leadership. So I think that's kind of on the right track. And I'm wondering what are kind of those signs and signals where I'm letting that inner kiddo that's maybe a little traumatized by being told she was too loud take over? How do I know that that kiddo is with me in the moment? Yeah, same. You know, I grew up with a learning difference. And so I significantly have an inner kiddo that pops up that feels dumb, not smart. That could be further from the truth. I am very smart. But that version of me, that younger version, kiddo of me still pops up and says, I don't think we're smart enough to do this, or people are not going to listen to me. I have to prove myself, or I have to pull out all the research for anyone to listen to me. I have that voice in my head as well. So it can look a little bit different for each person. It could be if you're facing moments of self-doubt, it could be that you're having an experience where an inner kiddo is driving the bus. If you've had people doubt you or control you or criticize you, you know, those experiences, you've kind of internalized them. It could show up for self-doubt for you. It could be an uneasy feeling about being in trouble. I honestly will tell you that I talked to a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners who were motivated to start a business because they wanted to feel like that they were in control, but they're often impacted by this feeling of, I'm going to be in trouble if I do that. And we always say to them, who, <laughs> who are you going to be in trouble with? This is your business. But that could be an indicator if you were a child or even a teenager who was often in the crosshairs of criticism or getting in trouble for things or being misunderstood, that that could also show up. It could be perfectionism. You could have a younger version of you that's value was only shown to them if they were able to be productive and be perfect and very black and white thinking. If you're struggling with something and you're kind of all or nothing, black or white, very concrete, it could be that you have a younger version of you clouding your judgment or your lens about how you're seeing the situation. Because remember, when we're younger, it's developmentally appropriate for us to think very black and white and very concrete and for us to internalize everything that's happening around us. But that's not really the way that we think as adults. We should have a more nuanced approach and a, a different lens for that. So if you find yourself in the black and white thinking, you probably have an inner kiddo driving the bus. If I'm hearing this right, an easy way to kind of figure out if there's an inner kiddo with us is just look for some of these common symptoms where they show up when maybe you're under stress, self-doubt, perfectionism, in trouble, and black and white thinking. It's so funny because when I worked with you, Nicole, you actually introduced this idea of you're not in trouble to me. And I share that with my husband. And now when I have a stressful client situation, he's like, you're not in trouble. It's okay. And it immediately calms me down. <laughs> immediately. That's been really powerful for me because I was a kid who was in trouble a lot, often for small things. And that definitely shows up in my business where if something small is going wrong, I definitely overreact to that situation and sometimes make it worse. So just diffusing it can be really helpful and knowing that that pattern is playing. And I guess that's the next question for people listening, where if you see those things popping up, maybe it is some black and white thinking or some perfectionism, what do you start to do with that information? Because I know mm -hmm. personally, 
it's really annoying to start to recognize these patterns, right? It's like, oh, that's happening. And you feel so out of control. Is there any way to feel more in control of what's happening within you in those moments? Yeah, I think so. I think recognizing that this happens when you're stressed out or maybe you're trying something new. Those inner kiddos are there to kind of keep us safe. That seven-year-old who got bullied or didn't feel accepted is probably not going to very much enjoy you jumping on the stage or being more visible or being a guest on the podcast. So their role is to try and keep us safe and say, that was really painful. Let's not do that again. Let's hide or let's be perfect so we don't get in trouble. So I think the first step is as you're recognizing it and noticing these patterns when they come up, either when you're stressed or you're anxious, or even if something really good happened, let's not forget that our nervous system can be wired to be overwhelmed by an abundance of good things as well. It's not just the hard stuff. So if you're noticing that the first step is self-compassion, and I know that's really hard to get people to get on board with. But if you immediately go into battle with that voice that you should not be having that, you're going to miss the point. Because often what I see is that inner critic voice that we have is typically covering a wounded inner child. It's telling us you're not good at this or don't do this. But that inner critic is there to also be a protector of the inner kiddo. And if we go into battle with it, which I think a lot of us are taught, hey, kill your inner critic, shut it up you miss the opportunity to say, oh gosh, okay, I'm feeling this way. I'm recognizing something's coming up for me. I'm going to look at this with a compassionate lens and be a little curious and ask myself what's going on. And I use an act, an exercise where I have my clients say, okay, I hear you. What do you need? You know, what do I need in this scenario? And often the answer is, I just need you to recognize that I'm here and that this makes me nervous <laughs> or I don't want to be in the podcast booth or on the stage doing a keynote. Can I please leave? But I think that if we are not compassionate and take those steps to just pause and ask ourselves, like, what am I really needing here in this moment? Then we miss all the gold available to us to be able to partner with that part of us because those inner kiddos come into all the situations that you're in. Mm, I love that. So I'm thinking like you have a podcast interview you're so, so excited for. And all of a sudden, all of the self-doubt, like, who am I to be there? Why me over someone? Like, I just had a session with somebody who said we created a podcast plan for her. And one of her mentors and teachers is somebody that I know very well and we've done work for. And she said, well, why me? Why would they bring me on and not her? And I think there is maybe a little bit of inner kiddo kind of kicking in there. And then she went on to answer the question, you know, and talk about what she brings that her mentor doesn't because she has different lived experiences and trainings that are really relevant to this space. And there's room, there's room for all of us. That's why my friend is mentoring her, but those things do kick up. So it's kind of like, okay, lean into it, recognize those feelings, and then maybe interrogate a little bit. And when you talk about that practice, can you draw that out? What should someone do? Would you mind leading us through that practice so that we know what to do at home when we're having this experience before a big interview? Yeah. What you can do is if you're feeling anxious or you're having some thoughts of why me, or I'm going to mess this up <laughs> or whatever it may be. And I've been podcasting for years and because of the way that my brain processes information, I don't always make the point I want to make. I know how my brain works. 
and it still comes up for me. So I think with practice, it gets better, but I'm not sure that it ever goes away. And so what I do and what I recommend my clients do if they're facing something that feels overwhelming is I put my hand on my heart and on my stomach area and I just take a deep breath and I just say, so I'm noticing that I have some anxiety or overwhelm or self-doubt or whatever the feeling that's coming up for me. Or I notice that this inner voice is saying, this is too big of a podcast for you. You're going to mess it up and ruin your whole podcast career being a guest because it's the biggest one you've ever been on, whatever it is, taking a deep breath and asking myself, okay, all right, I hear you, but what is it that you need? What do we need in this moment in order for you to feel more confident or less afraid or to own your expertise, whatever the thing is that I'm wanting in that moment? Or to believe that I deserve to be here and here are the reasons why. And often, not always, but often I can feel in or hear, okay, so this feels like a really big opportunity and I'm afraid I'm going to mess it up for us, right? If you were a kid that got in trouble a lot, or maybe like me, you had a learning difference and you didn't always understand what the expectations were because you had to process information differently. That's a legit feeling. This is a big opportunity. And that inner kiddo of mine is like, I'm going to mess this up for us. What's going to happen? And so I spent a little bit of time saying like, I hear you. I hear you. And that's valid. And it's okay. And you can be here if you want to, if you're curious. Or it's totally fine for you to go play or go do something else. I've got this because I think the most important thing for us to do with our inner kiddos is to let them know that they don't have to be a part of these adult situations if they don't want to. I've got this. This person asked me to be on their show for a reason. There's all these things that have happened to us since I was seven that are great and show that I know what I'm doing and I have expertise here and they want me to be on the show. And there's all this evidence that the seven-year-old doesn't know about why we do belong there. So that's kind of the process that I take myself through and my clients through is to kind of close the loop with the invitation of that inner kiddo to stay or to go and knowing that there's actually way more data here than that seven-year-old has. Okay, I have to confess that I did that exercise while you were mentioning it. Mm -hmm. And I've been feeling a little bit nervous about this conversation. So before Nicole and I get on, I was talking about how I went to a concert last night. I was up really late. I just feel really like dysregulated and we are only just starting out this podcast again. So I'm kind of nervous. I'm not a very experienced host. And I did your exercise while you were talking. And what came up for me is it's not about me. Like it just mm. came through. It's not about you. Nicole's work is important. If it helps one person, then this conversation has value. And it doesn't matter if you're nervous or not. It's not about <laughs> you. It's about the people listening and one person getting access to Nicole's work that didn't have it before. And I have to tell you, I feel a lot more calm and grounded than I did just 60 seconds ago or however mm -hmm. long before you did that. It feels really good. It really shifted something inside me to do that very quick reflection. So thank yeah. you. It really works. And it's not whether this will happen, it's how it happens for you. 
and it'll change. And so having that process to go through and recognizing like, this just isn't your inner critic being an asshole. There's actually something to this. If you're growing your business and leading into your mission or your thought leadership, you're going to have experiences like this because your seven-year-old doesn't know that it's not about you. Because when you're seven, everything's about you. I'm interrupting this episode because I know you're here because you want to leverage podcast interviews. Maybe you're looking to grow your network or bringing new leads, or maybe you've been invited on a podcast and you're looking to get more intentional and proactive with reaching out to podcasts to suggest yourself as a guest. And most likely you're listening because you're looking for some help. Either you want some help with your messaging or just brainstorming the right podcast to reach out to. Well, you're in the right place, my friend. Our podcast planning intensives mean you don't have to do it alone. They're led by senior members of our pitch team who are working with podcasts every single day and me, which means you get two extra brains working on your podcast outreach and the programming. We'll work with you to identify which podcasts will bring you closer to your goals and write up your own personal pitch scripts for those shows. We'll help you put together a plan to leverage every interview and we'll give you the context you need to book those interviews. Plus, we support you as you start that outreach process. Sound like a dream? Come on over to podcastally.com forward slash VIP to learn more about our podcast planning intensives and to get the help you're looking for. That's podcastally.com forward slash VIP, where you can find all the info and book an intensive. Now let's get back to the show. I feel like this is a good energy to shift the conversation a little bit because we can't talk about this inner kiddo work without also talking about trauma and one of the things I've learned for you is just how many of us are impacted or carrying around not just big traumas, but what you call little T trauma. And when you go through the list in a program, it's like, oh, I bet everybody has some sort of experience with this where we don't really acknowledge the impacts of these experiences we've had in our lives. And they definitely show up in these moments where we're being vulnerable and we're putting our big ideas into the world. So I'd love it if we could kind of shift and talk a little bit about what is that? What is that concept of little t trauma? Let's start there with the definition, then mm -hmm. we can talk about how it's showing up for folks. Yeah, I think it's important to define that. And I feel like a lot of what I do on podcasts is educate about what trauma is so that people can approach it differently. Because I think the large majority of people are walking around with traumatized nervous systems and that they don't know it. And so it's like a mystery as to why these patterns keep showing up. And, you know, it's hard enough in day-to-day -day life, but no one's looking for trauma in their business, that's for sure. So I think the definition is important. For me, the way I define big T and little t trauma is this. So big T trauma is an experience that you have that caused your nervous system to go into either a fight or flight or a shutdown. And that's usually something big, unexpected. It could be an experience of violence. It could be a catastrophic illness. It could be an accident. It could be PTSD, violence in the home. But in our culture, if I were to take my microphone and go out in the street and ask people, hey, tell me what you think trauma is, most of the things that they would name would be those big T traumas. Because most people don't recognize that there's actually other types of trauma and that big T is just one of them. So there's also something called little T or small T trauma. And those are cumulative experiences that we have in our formative years that change how we see ourselves and what we believe to be true about ourselves. 
it is experiences where we felt unseen, unsafe, unheard. And it can be different person to person. If you are someone who is very well supported and has a lot of safety nets and feel very connected to your family of origin or other people who make you feel safe, an experience of being bullied at school for you may be uncomfortable, but it may not have the same impact as someone who got bullied at school, but has no one at home to tell them about it or has no one to advocate for them. So what I think is important with this little T trauma is to explain that, okay, so what's traumatizing for one person may not be for another, but these are these experiences that many of us were just told, hey, that's just part of childhood. You know, suck it up. It's no big deal. That wasn't trauma because there's not one thing that you could put your finger on it most of the time. So I always give the example of being a kid who grew up in school systems in the 70s and 80s where we did not have any support or resources for children who learn differently. I have neurodivergent, I have ADHD, and I process things differently. So most people look at that and say, well, that's not trauma, having a learning difference. But if you think about being in school from grade one all the way through 12 and struggling every day, if that doesn't make you see yourself differently and believe what is possible for you is different, then I'm not sure what was. So it's those cumulative experiences that take us away from our true selves and then create behaviors where we have to adapt to manage that. So it could be growing up in a household where you're, you have a parent who's sick and so you're the parentified kiddo, or maybe you move around a lot and you're always the new kid on the block. These are all experiences that most people would not say is trauma, but they can have a very huge impact on how we see ourselves, how we adapt, how our nervous system regulates and the patterns that then happen because of that. So I always like to say that big T trauma explodes, little T trauma erodes, but they are both strong enough to move a mountain. When I was learning about this concept for you, I think one of the things that you taught me that was really helpful is that little T trauma can create these behaviors that we use to make ourselves safe in environments where we have very little control. Because mm -hmm. as a kid, you have very little ability to change your environment. So if you're in a school system or family environment where you're having these pervasive experiences, what are you going to do? Run away? There's not very mm -hmm. much ability to change things. And so you adapt your behaviors. And I think in some cases, those behaviors can really end up serving you, but in other ones, they can start hijacking you as an adult where they're no longer appropriate. And I bring that up because I think that when you talk about this, it's really easy to think that just is what it is. What you're describing is a common human experience. And so what, right? <laughs> like, why does that even matter if we recognize that trauma is showing up? And that for me has been a helpful one where I can see like, Maybe there's a different way to do things now that I'm adult and I can remove myself from situations or take a breath when I'm freezing up because I have a hard time when people are angry with me. But I'd love if you could talk to that a little bit too of why does this matter? If so many of us have these experiences, why does recognizing them important? You just put that so well. So thank you for that. I think what it matters is that your nervous system doesn't care what you call it our nervous systems react to it. And as you said, we adapt and we need to know this because our nervous systems are playing out these patterns and these ways of being either in fight, flight, or freeze, or fawn, which is where if you are someone who's a people pleaser, 
perhaps the adaptations that you had in your childhood were in order to be safe, you had to be compliant and pleasing and helpful. And when we can recognize that, I think it helps us start to understand who our true self is, as opposed to these adaptations, because what we do is we bring those into our business, we bring them into our life, we bring them into our work. And more importantly, I think that so many of us have a difficult time recognizing it because it has been minimized by the people and the systems around us. So it's not only that we have this experience that dysregulated our nervous system and then we had to adapt to try and survive and to make it. We also have the people around us saying, well, that's just how it works. And so if we're constantly having our feelings and experience validated and minimized, then we start to think, okay, so maybe it's just us. So by recognizing this and looking at it, we're giving you permission to say, no, it wasn't just me. I actually grew up in systems that invalidated me, diminished me, made me feel less than, and that impacted me. It impacted my nervous system. And I'm still dealing with that to this day because the systems around us are traumatizing by their design and we're all in them. And so this is impacting all of us, whether we recognize it or not. And so it's an important thing for us to explore, whether we've been told it was just everybody had a rough childhood. It just happened to everybody. The minimizing of it, it's a feature, not a bug of the systems around us because Allowing us to have our feelings and validating them and our experience is inconvenient to the systems around us. And when I think about this, because our frame of our conversation is supporting yourself as a guest on a podcast, but it's really about your thought leadership and your ideas mm -hmm. and your intellectual property. And so when I try to think about how this shows up in the spheres of thought leadership, and there's a lot of systems designed to get us to accept bad treatment or misrepresentation of our ideas. Like one thing that came to mind when we were talking is maybe you are starting to share your intellectual property on interviews or in webinars or something like that. And somebody else starts to take those ideas, right? And absorb them mm -hmm. into their own. And I can see how you might be conditioned to think to yourself, it's not worth fighting. Just let it be, mm -hmm. just move on. And you see that a lot in business Facebook groups, like just rise above. And that might be good advice for you in that situation. But I think it's worthwhile seeing, okay, is this my trauma? Is this my scared 10-year-old inside telling me it's not worth fighting back? Um, and mm -hmm. interrogating where the root of that is for you. Or I could imagine a situation where you're on a podcast and the host starts to get into it with you. That's not something that a lot of our clients deal with, but some of our clients are like, yeah, put me on the host that disagrees with me. And I think they're such ballers, but there's a lot of folks who really don't want to be in that scenario. And I think there's a part of that of smart strategy where it's like, it's not worth talking to people who don't agree with me, but for folks who really want to get on bigger stages, eventually I'm talking about people who want to go really mainstream. You're going to have to do a little bit of that. Mm -hmm. And how much of that voice inside of you is somebody saying, again, it's just not worth it or appeasing or people pleasing where if somebody starts to misrepresent your idea, you don't correct them. Like I can just imagine all of these ways that that starts to show up in the realm of thought leadership. If you're not interrogating it and deciding where you want to be, or maybe you're the opposite where you just want to fight back <laughs> and that can have its own repercussions online, right? Where you can <laughs> get yourself into some trouble that way. 
obviously you can see where I relate to because I go more to the like it's not worth it fighting <laughs> that's such a, a good example because we can't put the strategy in place or the reaction that we want to have in place if we're going to be on the podcast where someone's more argumentative the strategy has to come after recognizing where you're getting triggered are you a freeze person like me okay well that's my trigger so is the just let it go and say nothing is that me in a trigger or is that a good strategy here but I think it's difficult to get to the strategy piece if you don't recognize where you tend to get triggered because we all do our nervous systems act in these ways we're either regulated or we're dysregulated or somewhere in between and we all have ways that we tend to respond more than the other I tend to go into freeze and then there are times when if it's my thought leadership that someone is not challenging so I'm open to a challenge but they're trying to minimize it sometimes I will go into fights because that's what I need in that moment recognizing the trigger in that type of experience is important to look at before you can get to perhaps the strategy that works best for you because we don't want you to just be in freeze mode all the time and just think oh it's just a strategy to say I'm not going to do anything about it and just remember that if you are someone who is a thought leader or has a mission or entrepreneurial we have to also recognize that a lot of the time one of those kiddos that we talked about earlier had an experience that is impacting why you have this desire and this mission and this thought leadership or entrepreneurial journey because childhood trauma is a big motivator for all of those. <laughs> so there's usually a kiddo involved in that too. Yeah. I can just imagine a lot of our clients want to be on a startup podcast called Mixergy. And a lot of them talk to me about how nervous they are because the host, Andrew Warner, is known for asking harder questions and digging deeper into things. And Andrew, we've talked to him about his interview process and he's like, you know, if somebody's really uncomfortable, I'm not going to ask a third time, but he might ask twice <laughs> if you're mm -hmm. dodging or evading a question. And it's not something that most people are experiencing a lot in their business or other podcasts. You don't usually get really tough questions. Mm -hmm. And so as you're talking about this, I just think about, okay, if somebody's digging into something you don't want, what's your experience like? Just thinking through that even before the interview, when that happens to you, what comes up for you and how do you want to show up in this interview and how can you take care of yourself and be prepared for that? I don't think it has to be that complicated, but just knowing that could come up for you ahead of time could really help you prepare and then just feel a lot more grounded and in your own power, I would mm -hmm. say, during that experience. Yeah. How you can support your nervous system by preparing and recognizing how do I tend to show up when someone's a little bit more aggressive or assertive, or am I quick to defer my power, just play nice because it's their show? <laughs> Is there something I can do to help myself be more prepared for those questions and not defer to stand in my power and stand in my message? Yeah. And that's something you taught me about myself is that I'm a person who needs a lot of research. I need to know what I'm walking into. I need to feel really prepared. Let's face it. The majority of us are never going to go on a contentious interview, but we might go on an interview with someone you really respect and admire and are sort of nervous to be with. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing that shows up more commonly where maybe you're going to be interviewed by somebody that you've looked up to for a long time. And that experience then starts to bring up all sorts of that self-doubt, the perfectionism, is my message ready? What am I going to do? And so knowing 
what you need to do to care for yourself so that all of that's not bubbling up for you in the moment. I think that's probably a more applicable scenario for most people listening. But I do think that that does really matter because as you say, your nervous system doesn't know the difference. So when your nervous system, what I understand is like when it starts kicking into high gear in this way, one of those kiddos is going to come up and try to protect you. And if you're unconscious about it, you might not necessarily have the kind of experience that you would have consciously chosen. Is that right? Is that a good way to kind of frame? Oh, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Which is why knowing how that shows up for you is important. Not letting someone tell you to minimize those feelings that you have or to shut it down because there's a lot of gold in it. And like you say, interrogating, how does this tend to come up for me? And you can do the work with yourself internally before you go on the podcast or whatever it may be, or you can include it. I've been on a stage doing a keynote and was feeling very activated. My nervous system was very <laughs> dysregulated. And I, before I went on the stage, I'm like, oh my God. Okay. So of course it's going to feel nerve wracking to do a keynote in front of these 300 plus people, but there's something else. What is it? And when I got on the stage, I told them, I said, listen, you know, I'm, I'm feeling nervous. And let me tell you about this inner kiddo of mine. That's afraid of looking stupid. And I just checked in with her before I got on stage. And she's very concerned about the fact that we're using notes in front of you all. She thinks that you are going to think we're not prepared and that we're dumb. And I just checked in with the room. I was like, can we just let her know everything's okay? If I use an index card, the world's not going to end. And they all laughed and they were like, great. So it's not always going to be that overt, but it's giving space. It helps your nervous system kind of come back online. That kid, I was like, okay, we're good. Okay, cool. I can go do whatever I need to do. But that's just one experience of how working with that part of you as opposed to against it can create a really beautiful experience. Oh, I love that. And so I think that just brings us full circle back to that check-in that you taught us earlier in this episode as just a really good step to take that folks can use as a tool where it doesn't have to be that complicated, right? Just checking in and then seeing what you need in those scenarios. I feel like this is a really good time to wrap up and actually introduce the assessment that you have, Nicole, because (laughs) you have an assessment on your website, right? That is about helping people understand where the trauma is showing up. Now, this is more broadly in your business than for podcast interviews or thought leadership, but I think that understanding where it's running the show with the business is a good step in figuring out where it might be running the show when you show up on stages. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, it's called the Trauma and Entrepreneurship Assessment. And whether you're a leader, a business owner, or an entrepreneur, I think that the questions in the assessment will give you a lot of insight into recognizing the experiences that you have as a child, whether some that you may have been seemingly insignificant experiences could have actually had some roots in how you see yourself now and some of the patterns of behavior that you don't necessarily love now, right? So I think the assessment is broad enough, even if you're not an entrepreneur, that you would get a lot of really good information from it. And we cover the ACEs, the average childhood experiences scale in there as well, which I think everyone should do and know what their ACEs score is. So I highly recommend that you go to the website. It's on the homepage about halfway down where you can download the trauma and entrepreneurship assessment and see what might come up for you. Awesome. And Nicole's website, I'll read it to you now and I'll throw it in the show notes as well. It's Nicole.Lewis dash keyber.com and keyber is k-e-e-b-e-r so i know it's kind of a harder url so put in the show notes but it's 
nicole.lewis-keber.com, and that assessment is right on the homepage. Do you have any closing thoughts that you want to share with people as we wrap up, Nicole? I think the most important thing comes back to self-compassion again. Maybe you're speaking, maybe you have something that's very important that you want to share with the world. Not only is that inner kiddo a little nervous about that, but they're on your side too. (laughs) They want you to have what it is that you're looking for. They want you to have that thought leadership, that spotlight, that validation from the podcaster. They want you to have that too. So just remember, they're not always just a foe, that they can also be a collaborator and a supporter of you as well, as long as we recognize that they're there. So compassion for ourselves, compassion for them, and just knowing that that younger version of you is so excited about what you're up to. Thank you so much. I love ending on that kind of positive note to tap into as well. And I really, really appreciate you speaking about this. And if you're listening and you enjoy this, I really hope that you'll go and rate and review the podcast. Let us know how much you loved hearing from Nicole, because like I said, she is an advisor that I've turned to for a long time. And I hope you got a lot out of this. Thank you so much. 